Good morning. We are thankful for the good crowd assembled here this morning. It uh, is a bit cold outside and there probably was a few things that might have made you think about not coming, hindered you from, from considering that. Uh, sometimes Sunday mornings are a little crazy, for certainly for young families like ours. I can only tell you how mine has gone. I sat down in Bible class and opened my Bible and my sermon notes were missing. Uh, so no fear, we're not skipping the sermon. Uh, thank, thanks to the wonders of technology, I can go to my office and print it from my computer and have it again. But that's the way my morning has gone so far. But we are thankful that you are here. Look forward to a few moments of study together, and we're just thankful to encourage one another. Appreciate so much many of our folks who pray, but Tom, especially often with his uh, very carefully and wonderfully worded prayers and encouragement uh, that this congregation offers to so many. If you smell food already, I apologize. Uh, we are looking very much forward in the next few moments to uh, Widows and Widowers Luncheon, Thanksgiving lunch to honor those. Did you know, by, by my count, and I'm probably off by a few, but we've got at least, I think, around 20 or maybe a few more, 20 widows and widowers in this congregation, and we love them dearly. We're thankful for how much they mean to us, so much more to many of you that have known them for much longer and maybe known their spouses that have passed away. We want to take a moment to honor them, our young people, our eighth graders and up will be serving at that meal. And so again, to any of those folks that might not have heard the announcement, please stay for lunch. If you need a ride home, we will fire up the bus, we'll do whatever, we'll put you in our van, but we will take you home if you need it, uh, if you usually have a ride to services, but we want you to stay please and be a part of that. And we're just thankful for that time. And we are certainly thankful that you are here this morning. If you're visiting with us and you have any questions about anything that you observe in our services or anything that is discussed, we would gladly uh, take time and be willing to sit down and discuss those things with you, even this day if possible. Have you ever felt misunderstood before? Uh, it can be a common thing, certainly in life, oftentimes simply by uh, just accident, if you will. Uh, the definition, I guess you might say, of a misunderstanding or to be misunderstood is just simply a failure to understand something correctly. So there's, of course, a lot to pack in there. You know, you think about things that just happen sometimes by accident. You know, the cops say, hey, we're looking for somebody who has brown hair and a red shirt and blue pants. And then this cop on the side of the road arrests someone that has red hair, a blue shirt and brown pants. And it's just simply a misunderstanding of the color of the hair or the shirt or the pants. And, and we've got the wrong person. Uh, some of you, of course, witness it and even in our own family. If you've ever been standing around when Campbell is trying his most desperate pleading to get us to understand what he is saying as a three-year-old, and sometimes we just can't understand what he's wanting us to get at, what he's wanting us to get for him. And of course, uh, we won't have time to go around and ask all the husbands as many times if you've been misunderstood, if you've been married very long, then misunderstandings certainly are a common thing in life. But of course, that doesn't mean anything for us this morning in our lesson Maybe the more pertinent question for us in the next few moments is, is it possible maybe that a passage of the Bible could be misunderstood? Well, we would say in regards to that, maybe in an answer, there are certainly lots of confused people in the world today in regards to spiritual matters. Sometimes you look at somebody and maybe you're talking about things and you leave that conversation you say, how in the world could they believe that? Why, why is it that they think that the Bible is saying that? So certainly there are lots of confused people. So I think the answer to the question is certainly yes. This is a lesson that as we get into it, I'll explain further where it came from. But I presented it before at the Lake Hills congregation in sort of a series of three or four lessons of misunderstood passages of the Bible. Because those things happen sometimes. Now sometimes they maybe can be a little bit humorous or funny for us to consider. But other times they're very serious. 
But why is it sometimes that passages are understood or misunderstood? It would help us to consider that for just a few moments. You see, some people are simply naive. I don't necessarily mean that in a degrading sense. I'm not trying to put anybody down, but, but they're naive. Now, again, the definition of naive to understand simply says a lack of experience. We're not saying somebody's too dumb. In fact, I would say that's not a reason oftentimes that people misunderstand. It's not because they're too dumb, as we might say. They're naive. They have a lack of experience, a lack of wisdom, a lack of judgment. We're going to talk in a few moments about sometimes when you look at a passage, to understand it, you've got to go further. You've got to look at other passages. Uh, and so maybe they're just not, they're not experienced enough to understand that. So some people are simply just naive. Some people are too trusting. Now, maybe you know somebody like this. In fact, I would say that this probably envelops most of the, the world or most of the Christians in the world. This certainly describes our denominational friends. And if we're not careful, don't misunderstand this. If we're not careful, it can describe us. We can become too trusting and simply only listening to what the preacher says. I appreciate the trust that you put in me to stand here and to prepare lessons, but I would rebuke you if I thought you're only taking my word and my word alone for something and not trying to understand for yourself. But some people are too trusting. They take what the preacher says or even what the elders say. Any man or person for that matter and they believe it in, at, them, at their word alone. That would cause some people to be misunderstood or to misunderstand the Bible. Some people simply don't care. Perhaps you know somebody like that as well. You know, the Bible says don't judge. Do not judge. So they say, the Bible says don't judge, so I'm not going to judge. They don't care what that might be referring to or what the context is. In fact, did you know this? Psalm chapter 14 and verse number 1 says there is no God. The Bible says there is no God. Now, in context, the verse says, the fool has said there is no God. Okay, well, now we understand what we're talking about. The Bible says there is no God. Yeah, but only the foolish say that. But some people don't care. They're not trying to figure out that context. They don't understand that. And then, of course, maybe again, a large majority of people we know are simply self-serving. They're willing to do whatever they need to do in order to make themselves feel better. Some of you can certainly speak to this with the fact that if you want to believe the Bible and what it says for what it says for God's word, then that carries with it a lot of heavy considerations. What that means for your, maybe your grandparents or for friends that you know. And so it's much easier just to be self-serving and say, well, I know it's just saying that. I don't have to worry because, you know, that's what it means. That's what it's saying. And so for any number of these reasons or possibly even, even more, sometimes people can very easily misunderstand a passage of the Bible. So this morning we need to ask, well, how can we understand? Well, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, Paul says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. I don't think God was, was trying to make it a puzzle that we have to put together, that you've got to, to go to these different places and unlock it. Now, as we said, studying the Bible sometimes requires looking at different passages, but it's not hidden. God didn't hide it from us that we have to go asking and searching and putting things together. He's not the author of confusion. He makes it where we can understand. You hear it said very often, I think it is, maybe on the title of the last slide that we show almost every Sunday with the plan of salvation. It is God's simple plan. He made it where just about basically anybody who maybe not doesn't have some kind of mental handicap or a problem understanding can, can understand what it has to say about any number of things. And we have to set aside 
the, care, the attitude of not caring, the self-serving attitude, and some of those other things that we have from time to time. How can we understand? Let's talk about three things very quickly. This is sometimes covered in multiple lessons in a Bible class or a college-level class, if you will. But when we talk about the Bible, how can we understand? Well, first of all, one of the ways, and you have three, hopefully, blanks listed there in your outline if you've got your bulletin in front of you. But the first one is sometimes we learn by command or direct statement. Now, we all understand that. That's very, very simple because we use that with our children and maybe our grandchildren every day. In fact, the Bible basically begins with a very simple command. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Direct statement. Command. Do this. Don't do this. Very simple but yet we have problems from the very beginning. But even, in the, even though that's in the Old Testament, we see the same thing, of course, carried out in the New Testament. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Sounds pretty simple to me. Now, we may not like it, and we may not care for the way our government does things from time to time, but let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Direct statement, command. It's very easy to understand those oftentimes. As we read through the Bible, we see some of those things. That apply to us. And we need to follow them, of course. Direct statement or command. Number two this morning. Sometimes we learn by approved example. We learn by approved example. When we look through the Bible, and of course, uh, again, this is a, a, can be a high-level class. We don't have time to get into all the details. But as we think about the fact that we live under the new law, the New Testament, so the Old Testament doesn't necessarily apply to us, although it's there for our learning, we look at the New Testament still and we see approved examples for the way that we should do some things. I think Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7 is one of the interesting ones for a couple of reasons. It says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, as we talk about approved example, there are several things to unpack here very quickly. Uh, first of all, we read about the first day of the week. We know how important that is. You are here today on the first day of the week. This is one of those reasons for that. There's nowhere where it's necessarily a thou shalt or thou shalt not, but we see an example of them meeting on the first day of the week, coming together to break bread, to partake of the Lord's Supper. We talked about this in our Bible class on Wednesday night here in the auditorium, about the different things that we do in worship and the idea that we come together to break bread, to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's very easy, oftentimes in our mindset in the world, to make the sermon the biggest thing, and, and, and that's the most important thing. If you like to sing, maybe that's the most important thing. But maybe perhaps the one thing that we all do together that we can all share in that should be the most important is partaking of the Lord's Supper, commemorating the Lord's death, thinking about his death, burial, and resurrection. They came together on the first day of the week to do that. But what's interesting to me is, as you notice the rest of this passage, we see as well that Paul was preaching. So we see an example of Paul delivering a message. Again, similar as we're going to do and are doing right now. And so it's not that we just made it up. It's not that God said, thou shalt hire a preacher and he shalt preach a sermon every first day of the week. But we read that as they assembled together, Paul was preaching. Now, somehow we conveniently leave out the end of the verse that says he preached until midnight. All right. 
What's an approved example? Well, again, we can spend lots of time discussing that in great detail, but we will not preach till midnight, and we will have to set that aside right here. Command, approved example, and then thirdly this morning, we sometimes read about what we would call a necessary inference. Now, the word inference there comes from Latin roots, and and the idea behind the original word is to gather in. So to infer something would be to gather data, to gather in information from various sources and then draw deductions or conclusions demanded by the evidence. One of those that we oftentimes do without even thinking is the fact that we step outside the front doors and we hear thunder and maybe we can see lightning and we infer that it's going to rain. Now it may or it may not, but we can think that because we see lightning and we hear thunder. So to gather in information and then come to a conclusion based on that evidence is a necessary inference. Now I've given you a couple examples there, passages that you are familiar with. The first one is Mark 16 and verse 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved or will be saved. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. You know Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. And Peter said to the crowd gathered there on that day, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So when we go through this process of a necessary inference, we would notice here from these two passages, and hang with me very quickly here and we'll move on, a valid baptism requires what? It requires belief and repentance. Now there may be other things, and we don't have time for that, but at least belief and repentance. That is what a valid baptism would require. So we can infer that since babies cannot believe, they're not capable of that, and they cannot or do not need to repent because they don't have sin, then we can look at these verses and infer that infant baptism, babies being baptized, is not necessary. A baby is not a candidate for baptism because they cannot believe and they cannot repent. So in our series of why we believe certain things, there's a very short one right there, very quick. Why don't we practice infant baptism? Well, they can't believe and they can't repent. It's not that we don't love them, but it's not necessary because you need to believe, you need to repent, and yes, you need to be baptized. So when we talk about understanding the Bible, those are three ways that we sometimes use to understand what it is we're supposed to be doing. I sometimes begin, as we did here, by saying, if you have a question Bring it to us, to the elders, to me, and we will sit down and talk about it. And what we would do is open the Bible and try to understand, either by command, approved example, or necessary inference, why we do what we do, even within our worship service here this morning, or certainly within our life. Let's talk for a moment about the church at Corinth. If you've got your Bibles, please be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read this passage together. You can listen along, certainly. But we're going to read all of these verses very quickly here to help us set the stage. When Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, these folks obviously had a misunderstanding. In verse number 4, Paul would write there, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 4, he says, I thank my God. He's thankful for them. But at the same time, very quickly through this letter, we move over to verse number 10 and he is pleading. And he is pleading because he says there are contentions. Let's read it together and then we'll understand. He says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you 
Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Verse 16, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. These folks obviously had a misunderstanding. And one of the ways, or maybe the main way that they had a misunderstanding was they had developed what we would call today a rock star mentality. That rock star mentality was that they were going to promote and hold up as a rock star whoever had immersed them or baptized them. And they would wear it almost like a badge of honor. Now, we have no indication that was physically, but you can imagine they're wearing a shirt or a badge that says, I am of Paul or I am of Cephas or I am of Apollos. And this had created in and of itself, we can understand, rivalries. There's problems. There's divisions. You can almost imagine a group here and there's about three empty pews and there's another group here. And the same thing over here. There's rivalries and problems because they've carried on this rock star mentality, if you will, by holding these folks up. So there's a misunderstanding here. But what we want to talk about this morning is the fact that, that maybe today some folks misunderstand this passage and they will use it to say that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Now, we talked about that recently, and we didn't get into the different reasons why some people believe it, but this is one. If you're still in your Bible there, look at verse 17. Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. So one reason that some people misunderstand, of course, too, is they ignore punctuation, they ignore capital letters, they ignore the full sentence, and they'll just read part of it. So the reason that this came to my, my mind was about three years ago. My father-in-law, Freddie Clayton, the minister the Dunlap congregation there, actually had a debate. And I know some of you are familiar with that, but we don't have those very much anymore. People don't want to actually engage in that type of discussion. But as Freddie does just about every week, he puts an article into the newspaper there in the Dunlap congregation, or excuse me, in the Dunlap town. And so everybody can see it. And a lot of times he puts forth arguments or questions for people to consider. And so this guy starts writing in, and he is a a pastor is what he calls himself, or a preacher out on the mountain, one of the mountains somewhere, and I can't remember what the name of the congregation or the denomination was, but he agreed to have a debate, a two-night debate. One night would be at the Dunlap building. The second night would be in a uh, community hall out on the mountain near their building. They didn't think they would have enough room, and it was over the essential nature of baptism. It's very interesting. Uh, many folks today, especially our young people, have never witnessed that, and it was it was civil. It was cordial. I mean, Freddie made his arguments and things. But this was one of the passages that this fellow used. He said, Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize. So there's no need for baptism. Baptism is not essential for salvation. Now, I think we've still got audio copies of that. There's certainly a lot more to that and to the argument if you're interested in ever trying to listen to it. But people misunderstand the Bible because they stop right there. And Paul says, I'm not supposed to baptize, so we must not need to baptize. So that leads us to our question this morning. If you had your bulletin in front of you, we're going to talk about how to become a Paulite. I'm not sure if that's the 
correct ending to Paul. Uh, we sometimes call Pauline letters. Those are the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. But how do you become a Pauline? Well, if you've got your Bible there, and by the way, if you've got your outline, there's a slash and, and the first blanks should be Paul. We're going to come back to the second blanks there in just a second. If you've got it, I hope you can understand what we're saying there. But the first section and the first blank is Paul needs to be crucified for you. I think it's interesting when we read what Paul says sometimes, the questions that he asks, right? We call them rhetorical. Sometimes we call them mother questions, right? I don't expect you to answer. I just want you to listen. And I can imagine if Paul was delivering this letter in an oral sense, he would be saying, now some of you say in verse 13, is Christ divided? And somebody would say, well, wait a minute. And Paul would go, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, let me finish. Is or was Paul crucified for you? And somebody else wants to try to give a rebuttal. Wait a minute. He's asking these questions because they know, they understand. If you want to become a Paulite this morning, then Paul needs to be crucified for you. When he asked that question there in verse number 13, was Paul crucified for you? They've looked at him in the flesh. He's written this letter. They know the answer to that question, but that's what would need to happen. But secondly, this morning, you would need to be baptized in the name of Paul. Again, from verse number 13 there, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I guess you could become a Paulite. Paul was saying these questions or asking them and saying these things to people who knew he had not died. He had not risen from the dead. I guess you could name any name that you want to. You can go down in the water multiple times a day or, or you know, multiple times in your life and it means nothing. We could bring people in and hold them under. and We could say we baptize you in the name of Paul. But that's how you would become a Paulite. But let's go further for just a minute. Let's go further. When we go on in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and if you have your Bible and you can flip over there, we're not going to read this entire passage for the sake of time, but perhaps you're familiar. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 28. Because many of us don't want to read this. Because we realize what Paul went through. So when we say, well, Paul needs to be crucified, somebody might say, well, wait a minute, Paul suffered. Look at that list there. And we even sometimes go so far as to say, well, I've not been persecuted. And we certainly probably, almost all of us, not been persecuted in this way. Journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, with uh, being whipped, being shipwrecked, all those things that he lists there. Cold and nakedness and fasting often, and weariness and toil. We can look at what Paul says and we, can, we have to agree that Paul suffered. We have to agree that Paul went through these things. Okay, well maybe we're on the right track here, becoming a Paulite. He did suffer, but this Paul, this guy that would say that, he would also go further. And you're familiar with Galatians 2.20 because we sing it very often. I have been crucified with Christ. This Paul who suffered, who went through all these things, would still write later and say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul did suffer, but he would also be willing and ready always to say to people, it is Christ who was crucified. It is Christ who suffered those things. And this is one of those passages back in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that I think if Paul could have delivered that, 
in an oral fashion directly in front of them. He would have been in that motherly fashion or fatherly fashion like many of us. He would have wanted to have grabbed them and shake them by their shoulders and hit them upside the head and say, what are you thinking? This is not it at all. You are missing the point. You are not of Paul. You are not of Cephas. You are not of Apollos. It is Christ. So let's talk for just a moment, maybe more importantly, about how to become a Christian. This should be the second blank there behind the word Paul, if you've got your outline in front of you. Let's not worry about how to become a Paulite, maybe how to become a Christian. How do you become a Christian? Christ needs to be crucified for you. He would still write to those in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He would spend his life, almost every waking breath. You know, some of you who are teachers, maybe from time to time, or, or even if you've had a chance to preach before, I, I know Bill can, can certainly speak to it, but sometimes I lay down at night, and that's what's on my mind. You know, maybe I've been studying late for a few moments, but, but I lay down and I'm thinking about those things, but I don't even begin to touch the hem of the garment of Paul. I can only imagine all day, Waking up, going to bed, in jail, eating dinner, whatever, he's thinking about Christ. Christ died for our sins. If you want to become a Christian, then Christ needs to be crucified for you. And of course, we know that he was. And then secondly, you need to be baptized in the name of Christ. We've already talked about Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, but Peter tells them there as they are questioning, what shall we do? We have a problem on our hands. We are guilty. And what do we do? Repent. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of your sins. We're not really worried about becoming a Paulite. In fact, I had the uh, kind of humorous moment even last night as I was getting ready that if somebody found one of these bulletins later and began to look at it, they'd be really confused on what we were preaching here this morning. But we don't care how to become a Paulite. But it's interesting to consider that in regards to how to become a Christian. Paul says, Christ needs to be crucified for you, which he was, and you need to be baptized in the name of Christ. You cannot call yourself after Christ. You cannot call yourself a Christian unless you were baptized into his name. Paul would write to those in Ephesus in Ephesians 1.3 and say that's where all spiritual blessings are found. They're found in Christ. So this morning, of course, we turn the question back around on ourselves. And I ask you, how about you? In a general sense, from the beginning of the lesson, I didn't necessarily intend to preach all of this series here right now or in the next few Sundays, but in a general sense, thinking about that, are you willing to search the scriptures? Are you willing to search and to find answers so that there is no misunderstanding? Some of you have already done that. Some of you have had to take the time to, look, to sit down and look and open and really examine these things. But for others of us, I've heard it all our life. That's what my dad always says, my grandpa always said. Okay, are you willing to search the scriptures and find answers and to not be misunderstood? But as well, this morning, are you a Paulite? And I mean this question with all sincerity. Are you a Saudiite? Have you followed Bill Greer? Because I think I know his answer to that. Are you trying to follow Joel Danley? Because you're wrong. That's not what it's about. Or maybe this morning... Are you a Christian? Are you following after him? It certainly does begin by obeying his simple plan of salvation. Being baptized for the remission of your sins. If you want to study, we would. We'd sit down and open this book to understand what the people did. 
Don't believe it just because we show it every Sunday. Let's open it up and look together to see that when we talk about believing and repenting, confessing Jesus as Lord and being baptized, it's there. People did it. Christ said that's what you need to do in order to be added to his church. By the way, his blood bought church because he did shed his blood and he was crucified for you and for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not done that. We will be singing in a moment to urge you. I don't like using the word beg sometimes, but that's what we would do. You shouldn't do it because we're begging, but we want everyone, certainly here this morning, to be a Christian, to be added to the church, because that is where all spiritual blessings are found. Or maybe you're here this morning and you have wandered away. You've turned your back on Christ. Maybe you are following something else. Maybe you're not following the church here. Maybe you're not trying to follow me or any other preacher, but you're just following the way of the world. You're separated from God because of your sins. If you're a Christian this morning and you have stepped away, you're living your life, your life is not right with God, we'll be singing to encourage you as well, that you would come back to him. We don't want anyone to leave this morning with worry or with fear. There is a great day coming, but it can be wondrous to those who are Christians and those who are found faithful. Do you need to make a change? Please do so now as we stand together and as we sing.